this year, our theme as a church is belonging. Belonging, which of course is one of our values. It's not a new word to us. It's one of our big five. And um, we're going to push into belonging this year. Belonging, the value, the scripture that we normally put under the value is this, Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. I'm carrying an expectation this year that God is going to move in us and through us as a church, that we are going to be really good for our city and beyond. And there's three things specifically that, amongst others, that I am believing for. Actually, I think they're on the front of the newsletter. But they're this. Number one is I'm believing for a deep, life-giving intimacy with Jesus for every one of us. That's what I have faith for. That's what I'm believing for, a life-giving intimacy with Jesus. In our consumer society, church is not about consumer. Church is about connection. Church is about belonging. Churching is about being intimately on a journey with Jesus, intimately together. There we are. It's almost an oxymoron, isn't it? Intimately together as we journey with Jesus. And that's my prayer. That's my belief for all of us. Also, I'm, I'm believing for an, an increased sense of love and belonging with one another. That we would belong. We would have that sense of belonging. A place for all. A people for all. I don't want us to... Uh, use the church. I want us to be the church and believe that we can be the church together to a place where everyone belongs. And thirdly, which goes a little with that, is that we will all embrace grace or the grace that extends beyond ourselves, enabling all people that we come into contact with to find a sense of true belonging. In other words, we leak the grace of God wherever we go. And I pray that when we're in here together or whether we're scattered throughout the church, we are releasing grace all the time that brings hope to people. Grace that points people to Jesus. Grace, grace, grace. This I have discovered, the love, the mercy, the kindness of Jesus is for everyone, not a favored few. It's for everyone. When Jesus died on the cross and said it is finished, he forgave the sin of the whole world not just a favoured few. Now, not everyone may want to connect with him. It's their choice. But he made provision for everybody, every person, every nation, every race. doesn't matter what you're into, he made provision for you. I pray that as a church, people find what we leak attractive. I pray as a church, people find what you leak attractive in the workplace, wherever you are. I find there's something gripping about it because it's not you. It's something of the fragrance of God, wherever you are. Now, I don't know if you were around in 1943. I wasn't. Some of you were. No names mentioned, Brother Ray. But do you remember this, uh, this dude, Maslow, talked about the hierarchy of human needs. Now, I don't really know everything that he said. Most of what he said may have been a load of rubbish, but this is quite good. And belonging is one of those things that we really need. 
that sense of doing life together, that sense of connectedness, that sense of I'm not here all on my own, I'm not kind of just found myself on planet Earth and what's happening. One, one day I was an ape, the next day I was a person, and, and look at me now. It's not enough. There's this great, there's a sense of belonging that needs to happen in each of our core that brings part of who we are as people. I, I think true belonging, well, my belief is that true belonging comes from or is a result of true connection. And true connection on, can I say three levels this morning? The primary and most important is your connection with God. It can finish there. That's where our true sense of belonging comes from. But it also comes from our connection with people, those around us. And sometimes it even comes from our connection with places, doesn't it? I was quite amazed. I was, um, you know, when I uh, travel places, India, I haven't got a clue what's going on half the time in the, when we meet together, as in I can't understand the language. But because we're worshipping Jesus, there's that sense of belonging. You just feel like you belong in the place. China's the same. You know, I don't, I don't know what they're saying a lot of the time when I'm in China. I really don't. I hope it's good. And, and sometimes, you know, when you're preaching and they're interpreting, you think, I'm sure that's not what I said because I said this sentence, they said this paragraph. But anyway, um, the, there's just this connection being there, the sense of belonging, even though I'm on the other side of the world. I was in Hobart a couple of years ago and, and I was walking down the street there and I felt more at home there than I do in most places in the world. I thought, this is strange. I, just, I feel absolutely at home in this place. I've never been here before. It's beautiful. I feel completely relaxed. It's lovely. Anyway, I was doing some stuff with my family tree, and I find out that, um, that, that our family have roots there. Hobart, Mel, uh, Tasmania, Melbourne. Tasmania kind of went backwards and forwards there. And, and I go, okay, well, maybe this. I feel sometimes the same way when I go to the UK. I know I've got roots there. And it's like, well, maybe there's this sense of belonging, this connection, even in places. The Māori would say rivers, mountains, wouldn't they? Significance there. Connection to a place. But there's nothing like, nothing like when I'm worshipping Jesus. I can be anywhere in the world doesn't matter whether anyone can understand me or not. doesn't matter whether I feel comfortable or not. doesn't matter where the place is. When I connect with Jesus, I've connected with my true sense of belonging. Because that's above everywhere else, above anybody else, that is who I'm connected with. So our theme this year is belonging. My major theme this year, speaking into belonging, is going to be connection with God. That's going to be my major thing because I am absolutely convinced that all true, genuine, and lasting sense of belonging flows from a connection with God. You can look anywhere you like. You're going to come up short unless you've got the connection with God. It is the only, He is the only place to find an unchanging sense of belonging. And whether He feels far today or close today. I know I belong. I know I'm his. I know I'm connected with him in a profound way. My key scripture this year, which I'm going to be working from, is John chapter 15. 
I invite you to come and explore with me, really, this year as we look at John 15, as we go on this, this journey of, of what it is to be connected, this journey of what it is to belong. I think God wants to do something really good amongst us. That's what I'm believing for. So John 15, let's, uh, let's uh, go there. 1 to 17 is primarily where I'll be going. This is the uh, New, Tra- New Living Translation on the screen. I will use different ones along the way as well, but here we go. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in his love. I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Great piece of scripture, eh? Fantastic piece of scripture. We're going to start at verse 1. And uh, this is what verse 1 says. I am the true grapevine... And my father is the gardener. That's the New Living Translation. The Amplified says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The message says this, I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. I am the true vine, and my father is the keeper of the vineyard. That's the voice translation. The Passion Translation, I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends my vine is my father. Funny enough, they all say the same thing, which is what you'd expect from a good translation. They all say it slightly differently, 
but they all say the same thing. So let's just for a moment have a little look at the context of John 15 so you know where, how it's seated. So John 15 is part of Jesus' final words to the disciples before he goes to the cross. So you've got to get that context. Going from John 13, about 31, he instructs them with different things. He says, love each other as I've loved you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way, or the way to the Father, the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ, through him. He says, if you love me, obey me. He says to them, I will send you the Holy Spirit. And he also says to them, I'm going, but I'll be back. You thought it was original, didn't you? It was Schwarzenegger. No, no, Jesus said it first. I'll be back. I'll be back. John 14, as you carry on, verses 30 and 31 says this. I don't have much time. Let me start again. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches me. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. From there, we launch into John 15, which makes John 15 really, really important. If I'm to come to you and I'm, I'm say, look, I'm going away on a long trip, but just before I go, I need you to remember this, this, and this. It is going to be probably, if you're Jesus, definitely, if you're me, maybe, something of importance. It's the, the last thing you say before you leave is the thing that you want the person to remember. If Jan's going on a trip, probably the last thing I say to you is say, have a good time, I love you, because I want her to remember that. If I'm going on a trip, she probably goes, I love you, and don't forget this list. Because she loves me. But if you're going, you're going to make sure it counts, aren't you? You're going to make sure it's important. You're going to make sure. It, so this is a, this John 15 is a, just before I go, I urge you chapter. I urge you to remember. And then he goes, I am the grapevine, or the, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Now, the other thing you would do is, if you're about to go on a trip, you're going to leave your people behind, and they need to remember some things, is you would be quite selective in the language that you used, wouldn't you? I mean, if I want, I'm going on a trip and I want to say to Jan, I love you, I'm not going to go, yeah, you're right. No, no, I actually want to communicate something deeper, something greater with her. I want her to know how I'm feeling. I want her to know a certain thing. I'm going to say, Jan, I love you. And I'm putting specific meaning in each of those words because I'm trying to communicate something quite deep. This is John 15. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. So he opens with, I am. Now, if you know your Bibles, you will know that I am is significant, very significant. I am, he says, the first mention of I am is in Genesis 15. He says, God says, I am your shield. 
But the one I'd like to look at is in Exodus 3.14, and this is where God introduces himself to Moses, and he says, I am who I am. I am who I am. It can actually equally be translated, I will be what I will be. But I am who I am. It's the same words Jesus uses at the start of John 15. I am. Can we go to Exodus chapter 3? If you've got your Bibles, I hope you have. Please turn there. Wow, I bought something and it went there by itself. That was pretty cool. Acts, no, Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father and Lord Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to the Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh treatment of the slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the powers of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Bezerites, Hezerites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? For I am, uh, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. The self-given name of the eternal God. Verse 11 is interesting, but Moses protested to God. He said, who am I that I can go before Pharaoh? Who am I that I can lead the people out of Israel? In other words, he's going, God, who am I? Where do I fit into this? Where do I belong? What's this mean for me? I absolutely am convinced that the only way you can answer that question is by revelation from God, is by encountering God. Maybe not in a burning bush as Moses did, but by encountering God nonetheless. 
Who am I? Who does God say you are? What's God said to you that he wants you to do? Who am I as a church? What's God said he wants us to do? Tell them, I am who I am has sent me. If you're struggling with issues of identity, if you're struggling with issues of self-worth, if you're struggling with a sense of belonging, go to I am. Ask him to show you. Ask him to show you. I am who I am. I am eternal. I am omnipotent, all-powerful. I am omniscient, all-knowing. I am unchanging. I am the self-existing one. I am without limits. I am the creator. I am the sustainer. I am who I am. The Jews called him Yahweh. In fact, the Jews weren't even allowed to say the word Yahweh. It was so holy. When they wrote it in our alphabet, they went W. Uh, how did they go? They went W H W Y H W H. They put the vowels in so they could pronounce a word that wasn't as holy, but they say that the pronunciation of Yahweh is literally Yahvah. When Yahvah, Yah, the sound of breath. Yahvah, Yahvah. The very sound of life. The most holy name. The most powerful name. The most incredible, incredible person. Father, I pray that you would release revelation for every person in this place this morning of who you are. Jesus, we know you as our brother. We know you as our savior. We know you as our friend. But I pray that in this place, there would be a revelation of I am. Something of your holiness something of your majesty, something of your magnificence, I pray. A greater revelation of I am. I was challenged by John G. Lake in a book. Actually, a book that Chris Hubbard gave me. I don't know if you hear, Chris. It's a good book. And he said something to the, something like, all the problems of the world today are Christians' fault because of our low level of Christianity. In other words, he was saying, he's saying that we've set the, so, the bar so low as Christians. Our revelation of who this God is that we are connected with of who Jesus is and what he can do in and through us, we set the bar so low that the world suffers. It's a challenging thought. I know this. I need a greater revelation of I am. Can I be bold enough to say I know this? You need a greater revelation of I am. Jesus, the mighty one. John 14, the son is in the father, the father is in the son. If you know the son, you know the father. Likewise, we're not talking about Jesus, just the man who walked the plant, just, not just anything, but the man who walked. We're talking about Jesus, who is the I am. I am. There is no greater. 
There is no more powerful name, that song. There is no greater name. So when Jesus' opening words of chapter 15 are, I am, that's packed. It wasn't like, hey, I'm here. No, no, I am. It's a statement. It means it's time to pay attention. It means wake up, church. He's talking to us. It means wake up. What is he saying? He has just announced himself as the great I am. What is he going to say after that? Then he goes, I am the true grapevine. Well, that is an equally radical statement. Now, number one, he said, I am. So now all the Jews want to kill him. Blasphemy. He just called himself God, who he is. But he called himself God, so the Jews don't like him anymore. Then he goes, I am the true grapevine. What do you mean you're the true grapevine? It's a radical statement for Jews because traditionally, Jews are the grapevine. The nation of Israel is the grapevine. He's just called himself God. Now he's calling himself the true Israel. Jeremiah 2.21 says, But I, God, was the one who planted you, Israel, choosing a vine of the purest stock, the very best. How did you grow into this corrupt wild vine? Psalms 80, verse 8, you brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. Hosea 10, verse 1, how prosperous Israel is, a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. That was the problem with Israel, is they were known as the vine. They were called the vine, but they had become a corrupt vine. The whole point of Israel is they were meant to be a signpost pointing people to God. They were the vehicle to help people fix their attention on God, but they had become a corrupt vine because of sin. They had become a vine that was less than flattering in their representation of God. It was a connection to Israel that brought people's connection with God. That's what they believed. That was their worldview. That was the time. It was a little bit like me saying that if you walk through the doors of this church, no matter what your belief or anything else, because you'd walked into connection with the church, you were now a Christian. But that's like saying if you jump in the water, you're a fish. Or if you jump off a cliff, you're now a bird. Or if you jump in a car, you become the car. It's not going to work, is it? Yet somehow in God's timing and in this time, God had made it in such a way that as people connected with Israel, they were brought into relationship with him. The only problem was Israel's laws, Israel's lifestyle, the, the, the way that they conducted themselves was more likely to push you away from God than to God because they weren't representing him well. But Jesus turns up in this chapter, John 15, and he goes, no more. It's not going to be like that anymore. Jesus says, I am the true vine. In other words, I am the true Israel. I am the one who will represent God well. I am the representation, the true representation of God. I will not corrupt. 
I won't mislead you, I won't manipulate you, I won't let you down, all the sort of things that was happening in Israel. Why? Because he is God in flesh. God in flesh. And the only way, he is saying, the only way for you and I to access the care and the love and the attention of the gardener, the father, is through him. I am the true great vine. Incredibly powerful statement. In essence, he's saying, I don't care what church you're going to. I don't care what style of worship you prefer. I don't care how many meetings you've attended. Access to the Father's attention, access to the Father's love, access to the Father's care is through me and me alone. How's your connection with Jesus? It's said later on that we can do nothing but by Him. How is your connection with Jesus? Friends, this opening statement, I am the true Jacob, this is how you catch a Jewish audience's attention. He has just upset them big time. Blasphemed twice, according to them. Spoken the truth twice, according to us. According to heaven. So what's in the statement? I am the true grapevine. What's in it for you and I today? Can I say this? Don't play around with God. Don't play around with Him. You're not dealing with a nice story. Well, it's not. It's more of a thriller story about a man in the Bible who came into the world and ended up on a cross and died. And it was a great message around communion too, Jason. Thank you. Was raised back to life. We're looking at I am. The form the Father chose for him was Jesus, a human being so he could relate with us. He could relate with our victories. He could relate with our sufferings. He could relate with our emotions. He could relate with the journey that you're going through, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, he could relate. But make no mistake about it, he is, I am. Revelation chapter 3, I think it is, talks about the dangers of being lukewarm. That he doesn't like lukewarm. He says, look, be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm for goodness sake. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. In fact, the context that scripture was written in and the place it was speaking specifically of was if you drank the water out of the stream, it had a high sulfur content at the lukewarm temperature, it caused you to vomit. It wasn't even a choice, it was a reaction. He goes, I, I want you either cold or hot, not lukewarm. I think lukewarm is all about our revelation of I am. Because if we understand that the stakes are high, if we understand that we're not just talking about this life, but we're talking about all eternity, if we understand this is about our connection with God or our eternal separation from God, 
if we understand that this is the great I am's plan to redeem, to reconnect humanity with himself, we realize it's not to be played with. We realize that church is not about just coming in and going, well, we'll take the hour and a half or whatever it is to, to, to make sure that we've ticked the, book, the box in, in heaven and I was there. No, no. This is just a small, small part of what we do when we have a revelation of I am. We come together because he told us to come together. We come together because there is so much more influence in gathering together and dispersing than there is in trying to do it on our own. But it's not some good idea that someone came up with. This is I am's plan. You might recognize this guy's face. No doubt you've heard the quote. C.S. Lewis, speaking of Jesus. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg. I love that. <laughs> on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. This man is who he said he was or else he is another. I am. I am. I am who I am. I think we need to make a real decision about who he is. And then let the revelation start to flow. And we need to live according to our decision. Is he the Lord of all? I'm not sure who said this, but Lord of all or not at all? I hate legalism. I can't stand it. I can smell it a mile away. I cannot stand legalism in church. You know, rules, regulations. You must do this. You must do that. You've got to earn your stripes somehow by this. I cannot stand that. It's so anti-God, it's not funny. He paid the price. It's only by grace we are saved. It's only by grace we get to experience anything of the goodness of God that we get to experience. I think in the West particularly we've fallen asleep it's like we've fallen asleep behind the wheel she'll be right it's all good it'll be okay There's so much stuff but Jesus says I am it's like wake up I am wake up this is God talking I am. No, no, I'm not, not your friend down the road. I'm not on YouTube. I'm not any of this. I am God talking. I am. And I am the true grapevine. And I'm about to make some statements that you need to hear. And you need to live by, particularly if you're prepared to call yourself a Christian. Christ one. Christ's man. 
Christ's woman. Lord, we need a personal revelation of I am. For every person in this place. I'm so aware, God, that only you can do that. Only you can do that. The scriptures point us so clearly in that direction. But I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our heart. Where the fire's dulled, maybe it's even only a flicker. That you would breathe fresh revelation that would cause the fire to burn. 